0: I'm not going to put it to a vote whether you'd rather listen to a sermon or go do that. We're not going to even give you the choice. Picking up right where they left off in Luke's version of this day in Acts, all of them were indeed filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews in every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they ask, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, dwellers of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you would suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what we had spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. It is Pentecost. Because according to Luke, the disciples were all together in Jerusalem. There was this sound of a rush of a mighty wind that filled the room, and tongues of fire sat upon their heads, and they all began to speak in tongues. Most extraordinarily, everybody there heard what they said, each in their own language. This is a miracle of the ear as much as it was of the tongue. And there were people there from just everywhere, Luke says, You imagine a place, they were there, and they saw what was going on, and they said, these people are drunk. And Peter stood with the 11 and said, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, Peter said, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And having explained this extraordinary occasion, Peter preached Jesus Christ. And they were deeply stirred, and many were brought to faith, 3,000 were baptized. That's the Pentecost text. Legendary preacher Fred Craddock once observed that he was aware, as all of us preachers are, that, you know, people can complain when sometimes sermons go on and on and on and we don't give you anything good to think about. Craddock pointed out this was actually an old problem. In first century synagogues, the question arose, what are we to do if we have an old senile rabbi who just doesn't give us anything. And the instruction was this, if you have a rabbi who stands up there and gives you little of any use, take your books and study during the sermon. After all, the hour of study is, in the eyes of the Holy One, like an hour of prayer. So thinking about this Pentecost text today, I've anticipated this. I'm ready to make some assignments, all based on this text, that you can be busy with while I preach if I go off in one direction or another. So, for those whose last names here begin A through H, uh, I want you to think about this. God's wide embrace of every person on the day of the church's beginning. Now, that's your thought. They were there from every nation under heaven. Joel's prophecy was, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will preach, servants will prophesy, young will see visions, old will dream dreams, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is there anybody left out? There's no one left out. Think about God's wide embrace. You may want to remember in this light the marvelous Jewish parable of God assigning a committee of angels To take care of the parting of the Red Sea. The angels came down, and when the Israelites came to the Red Sea, the angels parted the sea. And then the Egyptians arrived after them, and the sea was closed, and all the Egyptians were drowned. And the angels looked down upon this and were congratulating themselves, slapping each other on the wings, giving high fives. And the Almighty came by and said, what are you celebrating? And the angels said, we got him, we got him, look, we got him. And the Almighty said, you are dismissed from my service. Why? We got them. And God said, but the Egyptians are also my children. Jews tell that parable. A through H, God's wide embrace. Last names that begin with I through M. Think about what exactly was preached on Pentecost Day. When Peter stood there with 11, this is what he said. God raised Jesus from the dead. God lifted Jesus to the right hand of the throne, where Jesus sits and pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Think about the need for that to be shared among all of us today. Church is more than taking our own pulse and then in the name of outreach, taking somebody else's pulse. Church happens not because anything we do, or we debate, or we decide. Church happens because Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. And we are filled with that Spirit, which implies that we were empty before we got filled. And we are emptied again when we give ourselves away for the sake of this world, trusting that God will fill us again. That's for I through M. Now, N through S, What I would like you to think about while I'm talking and preaching in a minute is how God is the subject of this story. We forget that. Jesus' life and ministry, God confirmed by mighty works. Jesus' death by the foreknowledge and will of God. Jesus' resurrection, God raised this Jesus from the dead. Jesus' elevation, God exalted Jesus to the throne. They preached the mighty acts of God. God is the neglected subject in our busyness, in the church today. You can go to church some places, think about this, N through S. You can go to church in some places and hear so much talk about the world in its fullness or the world in, its, in all its problems. Or we get talking about us. Or we get talking about me. It's all about me. All of these things can lead us to forget that this proclamation is about the mighty acts of God. God is the subject of our life. T through Z. I would like you to reflect on the close of the sermon at Pentecost, where according to Luke, Peter and the others were interrupted. God has made him Lord and Christ, and it's Jesus whom you crucified. And the people said, what are we to do? Now that's preaching. It's, that's preaching when someone springs up and ask the question, but what are we to do? Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, formally, informally, in church, out of church, should always, always, always lead us to the question, then what are we to do? And if you want to sit for a few moments and grieve the wasted days that go by when that is not the central question, that's okay. The church... Far from being a debating society or social club, the church should always lead us to ask the question, with God's help, what are we to do? Now, those are your assignments. A through H, the wide embrace of God. I through M, Jesus pours the risen, the spirit of the risen Christ onto the church. N through S, God is the subject and focus of our story. T through Z, all this stirs in us the question, what shall we do? Those are your assignments, and if you want to get busy with those, then I'll feel much more free here for about five minutes to speak briefly about a theme in the text which is muted, but by no means minor. I recall to you the language of the text. This Jesus, his way of life, you all know. The facts about it are accessible to historians. It's out there. It's public domain. The death of Jesus, you all know. It's very public. Even casual observers passing by saw Jesus being crucified. No faith required. It's just there. That God raised Jesus from the dead. Now watch this. That God raised Jesus from the dead of that we are witnesses. Do you see the shift? His life known, his death known, his raising of that we bear the responsibility to witness. For Luke, the one reason to proclaim the gospel in its fullness is to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That witness stands up and is counted on for hope and for life in the most desolate corners of creation, in ghetto and back alley, on a barren plain or a stark mesa, in prison cell and hospital room and hospice lounge, in the wake of a bomb crater or on a bridge of carnage and terror. The job of the church, our job, is to bring Easter to all those hard places. Look at the text again, one verse on life, one verse on death, nine verses on resurrection. At Pentecost, this wasn't a new and different spirit invented for the occasion. This is the spirit of resurrection. This is the spirit of the risen Christ that appeared to the people gathered. But what does it mean to witness to the resurrection? How does one witness to the resurrection today? What does the resurrection mean? It means that the life of Jesus of Nazareth has been vindicated and elevated by God. And therefore, this is the way the church is to live. What Jesus did, we do. What Jesus said, we say. Jesus fed and loved and cared and preached and healed and served. So the church, us, we are called to feed and love and care, and preach, and heal, and serve. Jesus welcomed and ate with all kinds of people and brought them together. So guess what? That's not negotiable. We do that too. And that's not easy. Oh my, I don't have to tell you that's not easy. How are you gonna have at the same table people who have different languages, dress differently, eat differently, have different backgrounds, different likes, different dislikes, just everything they have is different. People have sworn I wouldn't be caught dead sitting next to them. How are we going to get all those people around a table? The church said we have to because Jesus did. That's what witnessing to the resurrection means. At Pentecost, it was confirmed to the church that its mission was witnessing to the resurrection. And that meant focusing on God's wide embrace. It meant waiting on Jesus who pours out his risen spirit on us so we can do anything. It meant seeking always have God as the focus of all we do. And it means that the question of our lives every day, every hour is, what then shall we do? Does that sound at all familiar? A through H, I through M, N through S, T through Z. But notice, witnessing to the resurrection implies something that is often very difficult to do. It means that you and I are called to speak when we don't always have public approval, either in a church or or out on the street, where there is no indication that our distracted and consumer-soaked culture either cares or believes anything to which we are witnessing. His way of life you all know. His death you all know, his resurrection of that, you are witnesses. It means having to give a minority report into the room. It's no wonder the church, through all the years, has run to historians or to scientists to give a little evidence. We think if we can get a little objective help here, you know, it'll give our witnessing a little boost. A lot of the early Christian writings that did not make it into the canon of the New Testament, they would have had the risen Christ appear in public, you know, on the street, uh, walking into H-E-B or walking away from Starbucks with coffee in his hand or something like that. Because the church wanted so much for everybody to believe it and see it, thinking that would prove it. Except faith doesn't, doesn't exist at the end of proof. It's not about more information. Faith is in response to witness. And as much proof as we ever get of the risen Christ is Pentecost. The spirit of the risen Christ appearing, calling everybody into communion, pouring out the spirit for guidance and power and directing all hearts and minds to God. It takes courage to be a Pentecost Christian. It takes courage to speak this witness in the face of indifference or laughter or ridicule or greed, trying to get the attention of people who are on their way to the next shiny, sensational thing. Witnessing to faith in this age of proof can be frightening. Think about it, though. Sometime this week, everybody in this room, every single person in this room All of us will be called in some situation to say by word or deed, by passion or power, who we really are, those who are shaped and formed and nurtured and sent by Jesus Christ. That can be a joyous moment. It can also leave us quaking in our boots. It is frightening. But what we are asked to do is to make the center of our life, to act out of, to move out of, to live out of the belief that God gives life to the dead. To get up every morning with that as our first thought, our last thought, our most important thought. That's witnessing to the resurrection. In this age of openness, Witnessing to the resurrection means that we do not just ponder all the different roads we might take or study them and rate them and think, well, maybe today I'll go here. To witness to the resurrection means you have to take a road. We can't just shop around amid all the interesting spiritual options. Pentecost is directing us. We have to take a road Pentecost for the early church meant they were given a specific road to travel and they could no longer sit in relative safety and just fondly remember Jesus. Jesus was in that room and the spirit, his spirit, the spirit of the risen Christ drew them out into the world. We live in a world with so many roads, so many options, Pentecost means we can't just serve afternoon tea to the pros and cons of every one of those roads. Pentecost means taking the road of the risen Christ and making this an Easter world every day. The road of Pentecost for Westlake Hills is the road of God's wide, loving embrace. It's the road of God's triumph, of God's mystery over us wanting to control every single part of our life. It's the road of keeping it all about God. It's the road of doing things, lots of things, big things, for and with God. Because unless we finally take this road, Speak out this minority opinion loud and clear. Unless we witness to the spirit of the risen Christ and embrace every person and look for the guidance of the spirit and keep God at the center and subject of our lives and ask constantly with God and for God, what are we to do? If we never go down this road, never drink this cup, never break this particular loaf of bread, We will probably go to our grave having been very interesting company. But having witnessed to nothing.